Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 1030 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. You would think that killing Stephen would have been enough to keep them quiet and hopefully make them disappear. I am sick and tired of hearing just the name of the so-called prophet of God. He was killed on a tree, and that, that should be enough proof that he wasn't who he said he was. But his followers insist that he has risen. It's sad, really. They want him to be the Messiah so bad that they just can't let him die in peace. They just had to go along and bring him back from the dead. Now, that wouldn't really be a big deal, except they are threatening our way of life, making us uncomfortable, going around and claiming to be healing people, preaching hope and redemption, which I'm not against, but it's not going to come from a carpenter who died on the very livelihood of his trade, a tree. I even heard that a sorcerer in Samaria became a follower of him. How foolish. The high priest, I will tell you right now, is done with them. He wants them to be dealt with. Something I personally can help with on that accord. As they say, if you want something done right, you do it yourself. God, we just come and pray right now. We ask for your, for your words to be spoken today. God, we pray now that as we dive in and we look into the scripture and when we just dissect, Lord, what our earthly minds are interpreting and, and, and claiming to be true, I pray right now that only the truth be spoken, that your words and my words out of my mouth be only that of your anointing, Lord. Father, if I say anything that is not of the scripture, not true, then correct me on the spot right now. And Father, I pray that every week, but I mean it every week, Lord, that I want only your word spoken. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I think you have an idea of maybe where we're going today. Looking in Acts chapter 9 and and I just want to look out to you and just say I am enjoying and being in worship with you today and sharing this morning, Sunday morning with you all. Um, it's the highlight of my week to be able to stand here and just to be able to present the Word of God. Uh, something that I take great pride and careful in and preparing. But today we're going to be wrapping up and finishing our Therefore Go series. And so I want to be uh, kind of focusing on passing the baton, if you will, 
to someone that I think we all know. You know, this morning we're going to, to be a witnesses, in my opinion, witnesses of one of the most amazing truths in the history of the church. Now, up to this point, this whole series up to this point, we have been focusing on Peter and the disciples so far. That's kind of who we've been hanging out with. And we've been dealing with the actual people who have been in direct relationship with Jesus himself. These men, the ones that we've had, the disciples and Peter, they've had the privilege. I mean, I want you to imagine, they have the privilege of sitting directly under the teachings of Jesus. They heard, they saw it. They heard it. They broke bread with him. They, they were there on the accounts that we read about today. They saw it. And these are the men that we've been following around in the book of Acts so far. They saw with their own eyes the power of his glory. They watched him die. They watched him be sealed in a tomb. And then they watched him walk out of that tomb. There was absolutely, as has been evident so far, absolutely no stopping these men from telling the world about Jesus. We've seen it, we've read it, and we've experienced it. Except there was one stumbling block in their journey, which time and time again tends to be God's own people. It's his own people that are preventing the word and the message from being spread that we've seen already in the book of Acts. It's his own people who became the largest obstacle to spreading the good news. Now, the Gentiles, up to this point, by and large, were accepting of the news. They were ready for it. They were, in fact, we've read about it just as recent as last week, they were experiencing revival. The Gentiles were. Revival within their hearts, within their homes, and within their own cities, we're all coming to know Jesus. Anytime we have read so far that a disciple has preached and brought the word of God, it usually follows with, and the whole village came. The whole village was saved. It usually is the revival is spreading among the people themselves. They're wanting this. They're ready for this. And, and all the while, the disciples are going around and through the different regions of, uh, of the earth at this point in time in the book of Acts. While, that's how, while the Holy Spirit was moving and falling on more and more people every day, we have now taken a turn in our church history and are properly introduced to a guy named Saul. Saul of Tarsus. Now, Saul, let me tell you about this guy. Saul was in the favor of the high priest. He liked him. He meant business. Kind of stern, maybe a little hard sometimes. But the high priest and Paul saw, or Saul saw eye to eye. He offered his loyalty, Saul did, his loyalty and services to the Sanhedrin by taking care of the Jesus followers. That'd be my honor. Let me take care of those people. I know how to deal with people like that. I'm not afraid of them. Let me take care of this. The very first time, in fact, we're in Acts 9, but the very first time that we're actually introduced to Saul is in chapter 7, when Stephen was being stoned to death because of his faith in Christ, the first martyr of the church. 
And it was there on that day, in that moment, when Stephen was being stoned to death because of his faith, the scripture says that there was a man present in the crowd on that day. We had not heard of this man. We have never seen him or read his name in the scriptures up to this point. It just says there was a man in the crowd that day who gave the crowd his blessing, his approval to proceed with the stoning of Stephen. And the scripture says that man's name was Saul. Now, it's not actually clear when we dive in and we kind of read around a little bit on some of the uh, you know, biblical history and scholars and all that sort of it's not really clear if Saul had actually any authority to do what he did that day. But the crowd, I want you to pay attention, the crowd didn't care. They looked to him. And when he gave the nod, that's all they needed. And they proceeded with his approval. And I'm sure the crowd, without hesitation, believed that they were doing the right thing. That they were doing the right thing. That they were without doubt being honoring to God by stoning this man. Because Paul or Saul gave the nod, approved. Now, after that moment in Acts chapter 7, Saul got a, if you will, uh, at least how I read it and how it came off the page to me, is Saul got a taste in his mouth to bring down the entire Jesus movement that was taking place. It's believed that Saul didn't stop there. He actually took joy in arresting followers and then even killing as needed to push, to kind of squander this little movement and group to quiet into pieces finally. It's uh, once actually, Saul, once he, once he felt that Jerusalem was being handled properly, that I think we've got Jerusalem under control now, they're afraid of us, good. He actually, Saul, went to the Sanhedrin, to the high priest, and he volunteered, the scripture said, he volunteered to go to the city of Damascus so that if he found anyone there in that foreign city, if he found anyone who belonged to, the scripture says, anyone who belonged to the way, is how Saul worded it. If there's anyone that belongs to the way in Damascus, I plan to arrest them and to bring them back to Jerusalem for proper punishment. Now, Saul is not just interested in protecting what he thinks is his area, what he's doing right, but he's actually now interested in traveling. He wants to go and, and, and take it out from over there. It's not enough just right here. I want to go over there and I want to take care of that. And in fact, when I find them, I'll bring them back and then we can have a public trial here and we can embarrass and arrest and we can do, we can do anything we want here at the heart of Jerusalem. So he volunteered for this job. He went to go and wants to eliminate the way. Now, interesting, when I came across that in scripture, I don't know why, but that, just that name, the way, jumped out at me that Saul would actually be using that term. He didn't say them, those guys, he didn't, the, the, the weirdos over there. He didn't say anything like He said he referred to it as the way. And I thought that's an interesting name for the Jesus movement that was taking place. 
Because you see, up to this point, up to this moment in Scripture, there actually wasn't a proper name for what was happening. There wasn't one. It, wasn't, it just wasn't the moment that Jesus died up. Oh, redeem this, now this name. It, it, there wasn't one. The term Christian or Christianity actually doesn't come into existence until Acts chapter 11. That's the first time we have ever seen the word. And it was taken, and that word was given at the, at the church in Antioch, is where that word, that phrase came up. And from Acts chapter 11 on, the term would be used to describe those who are a part of this growing Jesus movement. And so they identified themselves as a Christian or a part of Christianity. But for now, here in Acts chapter 9, that word hasn't existed yet. That's not, that's not a common term. It's being referred now as the way. This is kind of the street language that's kind of developed out of really the grassroots is are you a part of the way? Are you in the way? Do you know the way? And this has kind of been developing then. Now, you may be thinking that the disciples are a part of the Mandalorian sect in the Star Wars saga. Because actually in, I know I'm playing my cards here right now, but uh, that's the name of their religion. The Mandalorians is the way. And so when I saw that off the jumping of the page, first of all, I thought, well, I'm a nerd, right? So because I'm you know, here I'm thinking about this, but that, that this term actually doesn't come from, come from anything like that, but it comes from, from somewhere else. It actually does have roots in the origin of this term. It actually comes from the lips of Jesus himself. And it comes from a specific moment when Jesus was comforting his disciples. And, he, and they were all gathered and he told them, that it, it, Jesus was telling the disciples that they, them, that you already know the way to the Father's house. Now Thomas, in that scenario, in that moment, Thomas, like Thomas usually, was confused and asked Jesus when he said, you know the way to my Father's house? So Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. We just signed up and said, well, follow you. We're, we don't know where we're going to be sleeping tomorrow night. What do you mean you, we know the way? And so he says, so how can we know the way? We don't know what's happening. And Jesus replied, and, and John, he says, I am the way. I am the way and the truth and the life. And the name stuck. So if you follow Jesus, you were following the way. Now, after getting the blessing from the high priest, when Saul was standing before them, and, and I think the high priest liked this proposal, this idea, Saul, he took his crew, his entourage, and they started heading toward the city of Damascus, which is north of Jerusalem. So come on, guys, let's go. Let's get your saddles up. There we are. We're going to go, and we're going to do God's work and take care of this Jesus movement. So they go down the path of, to Damascus from Jerusalem. Now, it was on this road, on this path, the path to bring judgment, the path to bring persecution, the path of anger, the path of hate. 
It was on that path that the remarkable happened. On that journey that it, it happened. It was on the journey, on this path, on this road, that in that moment, a great line came before all of them who were walking on the road. A great, a great light from heaven just flashed around them. And in fact, it says that, that, that it was so bright, they all fell to their feet. They fell to their face right on the ground. Now, being the good religious Jew that Saul was, he immediately fell to the ground because he knew, and I truly believe this, that Saul knew that he was in the presence of something spiritual. I think, he, I think he was that in tune to his faith, to his belief, that when that light flashed that we see in Acts chapter 9, he knew without a doubt that I'm in now in the spiritual realm. And I better fall to my feet, my, top, my face on the ground. And so there he is, is that Saul falls down and everyone with him falls. And, and in that moment, a voice from heaven, he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now Saul's response, I'm sure with his head still down, says, who are you, Lord? Who are you? I'm not too familiar with this voice. I'm not, I don't know who this is. I know, I know God, Jehovah, but I don't know this voice. Is this the God of the Jews? Or maybe this is a God of Damascus for where I'm traveling. Who is this voice? And the voice replies back, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But wait a minute. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Was it Jesus already resurrected and ascended into heaven by this point? He wasn't walking around. What do you mean this is Jesus coming from the heavens and looking down on it? What is it? How was Saul persecuting the Jews or persecuting Jesus for that matter when Jesus was already gone, when he wasn't there? How in the world can Saul persecute a, a, a person that's been ascended into heaven? Well, let me tell you. Like a good groom that Jesus is. Saul was persecuting his bride. He was spending time in bringing his bride down to church. And you see, you and I are, are in covenant with Jesus when we are in church. That when we, be, when we call upon his name, you and I are in covenant with him. We are one with Jesus. This is why when we take our wedding vows, we do it in the presence of the Lord. That we have a minister who, who goes through the ceremony and husband and wife, they, give, they, they, they go into covenants with one another. Why? Because after that moment, they're no longer separate. They're one. They're one. And as a covenant, like the one he made to us. That a wedding is just another visual example of what Christ has done with us. Has done with us.
Because you see, when husband and wife, when we, when we unite as one, that means that we, under the eyes of Jesus, are one, and we are then in covenant to him, the Father. Just as I am with my wife, I am with Christ. And so in this moment, when Saul was traveling to Damascus, and he said down, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? I'm not persecuting you. I'm pers- these people. Those people are me. They're my covenants. That's my bride. You're persecuting me. And so here we are, that when Saul was persecuting the church, he was actually persecuting Jesus himself. It was true then, and it is true today. That when the church is persecuted, Jesus feels it in his heart. He feels it. Don't think for one second that when the church is persecuted, that Jesus is not affected by that. Emotionally attached to us, you and me, his covenant loved ones. But sometimes, just like in a marriage, it's the hardest time, the the, the most trialing times that builds character that lasts forever. That sometimes the church has to go through a bumpy road so that we can be refocused on Christ. Just like a marriage every now and then has to go through a bumpy road. Why? Because we've got to refocus on each other. There's been too many distractions trying to pull us apart, keep us separate. It could even be our own kids that, are, that a husband and wife no longer look at each other, but they're looking only at their kids as the glue holding them together. Oh, no, no, no. I see our kids... Our kids are the image of our love. That my, my wife and I, when Josh was born, when I, when I can look at my wife, I, I chose my wife. I wanted to be in relationship, and I love you so much, that I want to be in relationship with you. But when Josh was born, if you ever wanted to know what an actual human face of our love looks like, there he is. Going beneath granny right now. There he is. And if you ever want to know what a girl version of that looks like, she's in the nursery. (laughs) But they are not the bounding covenant of our relationship. Christ is that for us. My job is to get him ready to do that with whoever God has for him. Why? Because our children are designed to be separated from us, aren't they? They're not meant to be in our homes forever but not to be in covenant. I'm only in covenant with her. We're one. By design, I'm supposed to kick him out. <laughs> oh, don't worry, he's still got a couple years. <laughs> not tomorrow. But by design, I'm supposed to say, here's the way. Here's the way. And then when I can see my children then going on their own path, I hope and say, I'm your biggest coach, but it's your path. I'm going to be here for you, but when it comes to my wife, I am there for you. We're one. And when I see this moment in Paul falling down to his knees before Jesus, it was Jesus saying, that's my covenant. That's my bride you're talking about. Why are you persecuting them? Did Jesus decide in that moment on the road to Damascus to display all his might and power to Saul on that day to show you who I am, who you're messing with? That this will be the day that all will remember when Saul fell to the hand of God. 
No. That's not what happened. In fact, the scripture says, even the men that was traveling with Saul heard the sound, the scripture says they heard the sound, but they did not see the light. And they did not hear the voice. They heard the, the bone, but that's it. To, to the men, it must have looked like Saul fell to the ground afraid of whatever the loud sound was, and he started losing his marbles because he was talking to himself. Probably questioning, at least if I was one of the guys, who did we just sign up to go on a trip with? Why is this guy talking to himself? Hey, buddy, hey, you want to get off the ground there? But Jesus told Saul, right, when he was on the ground, still there, his face down, after he told him who he was, Jesus told Saul to get up. Didn't say stay down. I experienced the full mighty power of the wrath of God. He said, get up. Get up and go into the city and you will be told on what you must do from there. And then when he got back to his feet, Saul opened his eyes. And he saw Nothing. He became blind. He had lost his vision. He went down, but when he came back up, it was still black. His vision was gone. Couldn't see anything. That, that this run into Jesus on this road to Damascus have caused Saul to lose his sight. To lose the very thing that he's really depending on right now to get him where he's going. That the brightness and the holiness of Jesus must have blinded his human eyes. And so the men that were traveling with him helped him up, got him off the ground, and he went in to Damascus. And there they went. And so for three days, three days, Saul just sat in Damascus. Nowhere to go, nothing to do. <laughs> he just sat there. He was blind, completely blind. And the scripture says he didn't eat or drink. He was that affected by that moment. He didn't eat or drink. Paul is just thinking about what has happened. And while Saul was probably adjusting to his possible new lifestyle of being blind, no one ever said he was getting his sight back. He just opened his eyes and he was blind. So as he's sitting there, probably thinking, well, I'm going to have to figure out how to get around now. While he was on one side of the city, Jesus had appeared to a disciple on the other side of that same city, to a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord said, Ananias. And without hesitation, Ananias replied, yes, Lord. Now, this isn't the same interaction that the Lord has had with Saul. Saul had to question the voice. Who is this voice? He had to ask uh, over and over again, who, who, who am I? I'm not familiar with who I'm talking to, but Ananias knew the voice immediately. He knew that voice. Yes, Lord, I'm right here. Are you looking for me? The voice didn't bring Ananias fear. He welcomed the voice. 
He said, yes, Lord, I'm right here. The voice of the shepherd brings comfort and protection to the sheep who are under his care. That's the reality. That the voice, when we hear the voice of the shepherd, if you're one of his sheep, it brings you comfort and protection. Yes, Lord, here I am. Are you looking for me? It's like when I call out to my son, Joshua, and he doesn't run in fear, he doesn't fall to the ground with his face. Yes, Dad, are you looking for me? Because he knows I bring love and protection and support and comfort. And so here he is, Ananias says, yes, Lord, here I am. And so the Lord said to Ananias, I need you to visit a man named Saul. Now I told him that you would be coming to restore his sight. Now, I will tell you right now, Ananias wasn't interested in the job. He uh, didn't quite jump to that as quick as he did say, yes, Lord. He says, I'm familiar with the voice. I know who you are. Still going to pass. He wasn't quite jumping out the door yet. In fact, he spent a little bit of time bargaining with him. He, re- he reminded the Lord that Saul has brought harm to his church. Not only in Jerusalem, because we've heard all about that, but now word has traveled that he's coming to Damascus to do the very same thing here. That he's going to bring harm to you, Lord, your reputation, your people, your church. Your the... So are you really sure I mean, essentially, I don't want to go. I don't know what he's going to do to me when I arrive. And I'm not really too sure, Jesus, if, uh, if he's worth saving. Have you seen what he's done? Now, Ronathan Ananias gave his, gave his little reminder. The Lord was quick to respond. Didn't let it settle down. He was quick to respond. He said, go. He was forceful this time. He said, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I will. You don't get to judge who gets to be saved or not. Saul has been chosen by me. He's been chosen by me. Not even the church itself can dictate who chooses to be redeemed. The church can't do it. You're my bride, but you don't get to choose who gets to come into the church. Who gets my redemption? Who gets my grace? That's not your choice, Ananias. That's not your choice. But it hasn't stopped us from trying, though. I'll tell you that over history, hasn't it? We kind of get a little picky about sometimes who wants to come into the family of God. Too often, too often, it's the church blocking the road to redemption. And sometimes we mean well. And sometimes we don't. Sometimes we don't mean well. Let me tell you, if you, this is anyone in this room, anyone that's online, today or 10 years from now, if you have ever been hurt by the church, if you've ever been prevented from finding salvation, if you've been looked 
down upon because of who you are and where you're coming from, or even questioned if you are worth saving. Hear me when I say you are. You are a member of this family. You are a member of this family, and God's love and grace and everlasting redemption is absolutely for you. And if I have ever done anything to say otherwise or prove otherwise, then shame on me. Shame on me. Because I don't get to choose who God loves. I don't get to choose the bride. God does. He does. And when he goes into covenant with someone, who am I to break that? Who am I to stand in the way and the road to redemption? Because let me tell you, if you were not, if you were not on his mind, if you were not worth saving, then the story would have stopped right here. This is where the story would end. And Ananias would say, I'm good. Thank you, though. And that'd be it. And Ananias would have stayed in his house, and, he, and we probably would have never heard from Saul again. But God told Ananias, go. Don't be afraid of someone that is different than you. Don't be afraid of someone that does things differently than you, that has hurt you. Don't be afraid of that, but go. Do you think, let me ask you, do you think God needs us to go? Do you think he needs us to actually go? Do you think he needs us to, to work on his behalf? No. But it's when we truly go in his name. It's when we say, send me. And when we stand and we walk that direction toward the most uncomfortable situations in life sometimes. But when we go truly in his name is when you and I are truly given God's character. Does he need us to go? No. But he needs us to be like him. That's what he needs. He needs us that way when we're not in church, when we're out in this world, wherever that is, that when someone comes up against us, they are in the presence of the character of God. Not God himself, because you know what? I will tell you where to go to meet him, but his character. You're welcomed here. You're welcomed here. On behalf of the groom, <laughs> you're welcomed here. That this, this is why we go. So he can do a work in us. Do a work in us. It's a matter of the heart. It always has and it always will be. A conditioning of our heart over and over again. Redemption, I'm going to tell you this. Redemption spills over into the soul that's carrying it. That when God has said and planted into you to go and bring my good news to this person, he has entrusted you with redemption, delivering it, being the feet of the good news to say, this is a gift from my father. And I want to give it to you. That the person who's in, who's in charge of carrying this redemption, the one who's in charge of carrying the good news, that that will actually spill over into the soul that's carrying it. And you'll be reminded in that process of, oh yeah, I remember the day when he found me. Here. Hmm. 
And so, fortunately, Ananias obeyed. And he went, and guess what? He saw Saul. Now, when he walked into the house, probably still filled with fear and the unknown. I don't want to say all that stuff went away. He was probably very fear-filled and very unknown about what was going to take place. But he knew he was going in God's strength, carrying the message of redemption. And so when he arrived, he found the almighty Saul, the one with all the reputation, in the house, blind, helpless, weak. He hadn't eaten in days. This is the almighty Saul. And so Ananias walked into the house and he immediately said, Brother, Ananias knew that God was going to do something mighty with Saul. He knew that. So even though Saul had imprisoned and even killed his, his Ananias, his own brothers and sisters of the church, Ananias immediately, when he walked into the house, he called Saul brother. Brother, brother Saul, he said, I am the one Jesus has sent. The one he told you was coming. Your sight is going to be restored. And you, my friend, are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then right when Ananias said that, it happened. Like that. The scripture says, scales fell off his eyes. Right off his face off of Saul's eyes, and he could see again. That the eye, those eyes that were once blinded with anger, with hate, with power, were now finally seeing for the very first time. And as I'm sure his eyes, and I'm sure when he, get, when he turned the lights on really quick, when he get from something dark, you, know, you kind of get a little blinded there for a second so your eyes adjust, Right? And so I'm sure when the scales came off and he opened his eyes, he, he had to get that adjusting to the light that, that, and coming out of the blurriness to clarity. And when that had, once the clear, clear sight came in, Saul's first sight, his first thing that he saw was that of Ananias. The disciple that said, I'll go. The disciple from Damascus, he was there to persecute and to imprison and to kill if needed without hesitation. His first sight was this man. But you see, but those aren't the eyes he's using anymore. For he was blind, but now he sees for the very first time. And so Ananias helped Paul give up to his feet, stand him up on his feet, stand up, stand up, stand up. And then he brought him over to the water right there. Didn't waste any time. He brought him over. Paul, Saul, come here. Come here, come here. Saul, right this way. He was weak. He was frail. But Ananias helped him right here to the water where Saul, I'm going to tell you this, but I just wish I could be in the room, where Saul heard the words that no one, no one, even Peter himself, I bet, no one ever thought he would hear. And Ananias took Saul and he told him, 
I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he was baptized. And out of the water came a new creation, a new person who can now see for the first time. Amen and hallelujah that Jesus does that for us. That God saves the people that we don't want to. Thank God for that. Thank God that Ananias knew that he knew what it meant to be a Jesus follower. Speaking of Ananias, that guy must have gone out to be some really important guy because, man, he, he was the one that baptized Saul. I mean, gosh, that's kind of a big deal in church history. He probably went on to be some great deacon somewhere. Well, actually, after this chapter, Acts chapter 9, we never hear from him again in Scripture, ever again. The man who overcame his fear, his personal judgments, we never hear from him again. Why? I don't know. The only thing I can think of is that somebody else's redemption is not because of my act. Is that it doesn't matter who is bringing someone to find Christ's love. It's easy for to me, I'm the guy behind the microphone and a nice little uniform behind the pulpit. And it can be easy to say, look at how many, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. All that matters is that someone came home. Someone came home. And so, well, Saul. He would actually remember that day for the rest of his life. He would remember that day for the rest of his life. Because shortly after this, after that moment, he started going by a different name, one that I've been slipping up all morning saying. He started going by Paul. He would end up becoming one of the strongest leaders in the history of the church. He would eventually go on three church planting journeys where he would bring the good news of Jesus Christ to you guessed it, the Gentiles, their kings, and the people of Israel. Essentially, officially starting the church as we know it in the world today. Almost 50% of the New Testament will end up being written by Paul. Letters to the churches that were planted in his journeys. And Paul's journey will come to an end the same way that it ironically started by persecution. It's widely believed and accepted that in 64 AD, Paul was beheaded by, in Rome by Emperor Nero, leaving behind a model the church has been following ever since. I don't think he's worthy to be saved, Lord. I don't think I should go just imagine if Ananias decided not to go see Saul that day. Let me ask you this. Is there anyone, anyone, God has placed on your heart today? A name, a person 
Is it a family member who needs to know Jesus? Is there someone right now in your life that God is saying, go? And this is not some trick or some ploy or some emotional thing to try to make you do anything. I'm not interested in that. But what I'm saying is in Acts chapter 9, Ananias didn't want to go, but God was able to change the world because he did. Is there anyone in your life that God is saying, can you be my deliverer of redemption? I don't want to go, I know. But I want you to go, go, go. And if there is, I want you to come and kneel down and pray for them. I want you to pray for them, but maybe you just need to pray for me. Gosh, I don't think I want to do that, Lord. And Ananias was quick to respond. But maybe I just need to say, Lord, give me strength. You know what? I'm out of focus. Let me, let me put this back in. I want to see clarity once more. And let's, just, let's get this back on the right track. And maybe, maybe it's you. You have been trying to find that path of redemption. I invite you to come down too. Because I'm going to tell you, he's waiting. He's ready. And you are worthy. Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.